Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. You can find it on page 907 of the Puback Bibles. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Well, I hope you're doing well today. My name is Howard Peñate. I'm the pastoral resident here at King's Cross, and it's always fun and a privilege, and uh, when God gives me the opportunity to preach and proclaim his word, it, it brings me great joy to be able to do that. And, and I believe the word of the Lord uh, is, well, we know it's active and living, but there is a word the Lord has for us today. And, and I pray that God's word would penetrate our souls and our hearts this day, that as we leave out this place, we leave as people not just transformed and changed, but people who are applying God's word, that they see that there's a word for us today. But as I was studying my time this week and reading through this text, um, there was something that came to mind. There was this idea of like, of, of Jesus preparing a meal by the beach and him having a meal with his disciples. And this is where this conversation takes place. So it, it, it brought to remembrance to me a lot of times how in my family and in, in our household, what we do is we actually have a family meal and we have a family meeting at times. So the kids know when dad calls a family meeting, we're going to sit, we're going to talk we're going to work through some things and maybe planning a vacation and maybe talking about what's coming up, what are we doing. But the idea is that we spend time around the table talking. And it's usually after we're done eating because they know how daddy gets. He gets a little hangry. So I see, I see in John there's something unique happening. Is that Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. And he's going to wait to talk to Peter. So today, as we go in God's word, pray for me as I pray for us, but pray that God would encounter us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is active and living and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating to our souls and our hearts and even to marrow. Our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, Nothing is hidden from your sight. 
You know us, Lord. You know, know us like the way nobody else knows us. Our motives and our thoughts and our deeds, everything is laid bare before you, Lord. Yet you still have mercy upon us. And today, Lord, as we gather here today, we need to be reminded of the hope that you've given us. That it's a hope not found in the confidence of the flesh. That it's not a hope built on our works, but it's built upon a cross, built upon a person, found in a person, and that is your son, Jesus. Help us to look to Calvary's hill this morning. Help us us to see and behold the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. May your truth and your gospel bring life and transformation. For my words can do nothing, O Lord, O God, but your words can. So bring forth, Lord, change and life in Jesus' holy name. And God's people said, amen. So there is four movements in this text that I look to unpack with us. The first movement that we're going to see is that Jesus encounter and he engages people where they're at. He encounters and he engages people where they're at. The second movement we're going to see is that Jesus knows the hearts of people. It's not surprising how Jesus knows this. This is who he is. He knows all things. The third movement we're going to see is that Jesus loves his people. He loves his people. He loves his sheep. And lastly, what we're going to see is that there's restoration for God's people. There is restoration for God's people. See, the word of the Lord is active and living, and, and God has a word for us today, family. We know that there is hope and that God restores his people. So as we go through this text, I want us to look clearly at chapter 21. And and, and I want to bring our attention to something very specific, what's happening, what John wants us to know, is that this is the third time Jesus has been seen. He's making it clear that Jesus wasn't just a spiritual being, a person, because he's not making that, that claim. What he's making, there is a bodily, physically resurrected Jesus. Jesus is on the beach. And the disciples are out fishing. And I could hear this man crying and calling from the shore. Children, he says in chapter 21. He tells them, children, do you have any fish? Verse 5. And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea that the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Picture this, family. Peter, 
and seven, well, seven disciples total, but they're in this boat. This man calls from the shore. John recognizes that it's Jesus, and what does Peter do? He puts on his garment. He throws himself into the sea, and he swims 100 yards. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not a strong swimmer. I could maybe swim maybe like five or six like feet before I start to drown. I'm being dead serious. I need like the noodle and the little life rat. I need that. But like Peter, he totally goes and jumps in the water and swims 100 yards. And you know what he experiences as he walks up? Soaking wet. Ocean water just coming off of him. He could hear the waves crashing down. He could hear the seagulls calling, making noise. He could smell the burnt wood in the air. He could see the smoke rising. He could smell the, 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 the smell of fresh fish and bread. Do y'all feel that? Are y'all in that moment? And he walks up to Jesus. He walks up to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse 9. When they got out of land, there was a charcoal fireplace with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So there goes Simon again. Went on board and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 fish. That's a great catch. I've never, I don't think I've ever caught a fish in my life. Y'all laughing, but it's probably true. And although there was so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus likes to grill. He's grilling fish by the ocean. And his choice of breakfast is fish. Praise God. That's my kind of guy. He has fresh bread. And he invites Peter and the disciples to sit with him. And now he's about to have a family meeting with these guys. This is where we get to our first movement is that there is an encounter Jesus does with his disciples. He encounters Peter and the disciples, and he engages them. Watch what happens. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now stop. Jesus encounter and engages Peter in conversation. Now, ladies, I want to give you all a note, side note. Before you talk to your man, make sure you feed him so he'll be happy. What you see here is Jesus feeds Peter, and now they're ready for the conversation. 
He engages in conversation with Peter, and he has now this serious conversation with Peter to talk to him. And he asks him these very confrontational questions. Do you love me more than these? Jesus was intentional about this setting. He chose the side of a beach. He chose a meal. He chose a campfire. All these things would have been triggering emotions. All these things would have been triggering responses. All of these things would have brought Peter back to the moment of the Last Supper. Right before Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll go wherever you go and I will die for you. And Jesus tells them, you're going to deny me three times. But he chose this setting because what I believe Jesus is trying to do in this situation, asking these three repeated questions, I really believe he's trying to set the the reminder for Peter of his denial setting. I think he's doing that. So Peter asks him the question three times. And look what happens on the third time. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter was grieved by this situation. This encounter, this engagement left him grieved in this moment. I can just imagine what kind of emotions Peter was carrying into the conversation. Look back. Go to Luke chapter 22, one book to your left. Go to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And I want us to see the moment in which Peter is told that he will deny Jesus. I want you to see the emotions he was carrying. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the word of the Lord reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter's all talk, right? Look at 34. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Now go over several verses, and I want you to see the moment in which Peter denies Jesus. Look at Luke 22, verse 54. Then they seized him, that's Jesus, and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. 
and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else said, saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now watch this. Watch this part very carefully. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. They locked eyes. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The last time Peter had a meal with Jesus was at the Last Supper. Now he's having a meal with Jesus on the beach. There's a fire, and he's being reminded of the moment in time that he rejected and denied Jesus. The emotions he could have been carrying as he walked in on that beach shore, right there, he could have felt shame. He might have felt guilt. He might have felt like a failure, an imposter, a coward. He would have been reminded of the very curse he spoke over himself, saying, I don't know this man, to the point of speaking a curse upon his life. And here he is in front of Jesus. emotions, his experience. But Jesus has a plan for this. He's intentional about engaging and encountering Jesus where he's at and Peter where he's at. We will find ourselves in our own lives that I really believe that God encounters us and engages us where we're at. Even in the midst of our brokenness and in our own failures, like Peter's failure and denial. There's a reality that, that, that not only does Jesus encounter and engage us, but there's a reality that the Lord wants us to turn back to him. There's a reality that the Lord knows our hearts and our frames. Because as Peter was carrying his guilt and his shame meeting Jesus, we too carry our own guilt and shame when we meet Jesus, do we not? After we sin and fall in short, aren't we embarrassed to go to Jesus? Don't we feel the weight of the same sin that we said we would never ever do again and we do it again? Or am I the only one that feels that way when we sin? Because I know I, I struggle with that. 
There's a reality that we carry this guilt and shame, and, and our posture is that of, of shame and guilt, so we don't want to go to Jesus. But what Jesus does here, he doesn't wait for Peter to go to him. Jesus comes to Peter. Family, this is the reminder for us today that in our guilt, in our shame, in our failure, in our downfall, Jesus comes and he meets us at the very lowest valleys of our lives. And he meets us in our brokenness. Because the type of savior that we talk about, the very savior that is portrayed to us in God's word, is a savior that comes to rescue the broken, the forgotten, but also those that go astray, those rebellious sheep. That's me. That's us. What were we carrying? Is it past failures? Is it the shame that we carry that people know us because of what we've done in the past? Well, Jesus makes it clear that he cares for Peter. Look at what he tells him. He knows his future. He knows what's going to happen to Peter. He foretells of his future. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's just a glimpse of the Savior knowing the future. Why do I say that? Because the Savior himself knows your future. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. He knows your story. And what I'm here to tell you and to remind you is that your failures and your downfalls do not define you. God uses them to make it part of our story. All, he will get all the glory, even from our brokenness. How that works, I have no idea. But I know God is sovereign to use all of our lives. And you know what he does? He does not hold one single out of condemnation upon his people. He poured that all out on his son. He became your sin. He became your wrath bearer so that you would be cleansed. He was your substitute. He took your place. What we also see in the second movement of this text is that Jesus knows our hearts. We see that in verse 17, where Peter tells him, Lord, you know everything. And we know in John 2.24, Jesus says, the text says that Jesus knew what was in the hearts of men. No one needed to tell him. But we see is that we, he knew Peter exactly for who he was. He knew that Peter would deny him, but he also knew that Peter was a hothead, that he was stubborn quick-tempered, 
quick to speak and slow to listen. Anybody like that in here? Don't raise your hand. We know who you are, actually. He knew who Peter was. And he knew that Peter put too much confidence in his flesh. He knew that. He knew that. And so what does Jesus do? He allows him to go through this experience to transform him from this very prideful leader into a very humbled leader. God's refining processes are very clear in the New Testament. Romans 8.28 tells us that, that God works out all things for our good. And he knew that he would work out Peter's issues so that God would get the glory. And I think realistically, as we look back at this text, we can see how. Because we see the failed leader being restored by God's grace, being restored by the mercy of Jesus. We actually see the Savior's acting, active love for his people to come to Peter, to reinstate him, to replenish his hope, to refill his cup. The third movement we see is that Jesus loves his sheep. Look at, look at verse number 15. He said to Peter, feed my lambs. And again, he says, tend my sheep and feed my sheep. Those terms, sheep, refer to God's people. I know in the culture we live now today, people say, hey, don't be a sheep. Have y'all heard that? I know y'all, some of y'all heard that. Don't be a sheep, be a leader. But the New Testament teaches us that we are called to be God's sheep, God's people, who follow not our ways, who lean not on our own understanding, but who follow the great shepherd. And his name is Jesus. See, John 10, 11 tells us that Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. And he cares for his people deeply. Today, we need to be reminded that Jesus not only loves his sheep, but he is the good shepherd that offers you safety, offers you care, rest, peace. That he heals you. That he watches over you. You need to be reminded that the good shepherd lays down his life for you. You need to be reminded that the good shepherd went to battle for you. And he defeated the undefeatable foe that no man could defeat called death. Jesus loves his people, and he's willing to, to die for his people, resurrect for his people. But you see that Jesus tells Peter his concern, his care for his sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. He cares deeply about his people. Stop and ask yourself this question. Do I really believe that Jesus wants to tend and feed my soul? Or, or, or ask yourself this question, do I hunger and thirst today 
for what is good? Or ask yourself this question. Am I weary and tired? This is not some abstract text. We see the Savior's love for his people then and for his people now. Where are you today in your heart? What week have you had? What have you struggled with? What have you battled? What have you failed? What have you gained success in? Where are you today? Are you tired? Weary? The Savior knows where you're at. Jesus knows what you need today. He knows where your heart's at, and he loves you even in the midst of your failures or your successes. Know this, is that he is your good shepherd. He's not just the good shepherd, he is your good shepherd. Someone say, my good shepherd. Yeah, I could say it, my good shepherd. He's your good shepherd. He's my good shepherd. Where are you today? Are you hurt? Do you need healing? Your shepherd's there. He wants to heal you. Lastly, we see this movement in here. There's a restoration for God's people. Peter had publicly denied Jesus. Now Peter is going to be publicly reinstated by, by, by Jesus. He's going to reinstate Peter and show the disciples that there's hope for restoration for a failed leader. He's going to give him mercy over judgment. Jesus had every right to see Peter and rebuke him and put him in his place. But what does the Savior do? He tells him, verse 19, the very last part, follow me. The Savior tells Peter, follow me. There's mercy that Jesus gives. See, the reality as we look at this text, I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we believing that there's mercy for us? Has God's grace reached its limit with us? In other words, are we believing that our sin is greater than our Savior? Do you believe that you out-sin God's grace, in other words? Your sin does not have power over you. You do not need to cling and hold on to those things. There's freedom. There's mercy today. That's why his mercies are new every morning for us. 
failed leader, there's hope. A failed person, there's hope. Today, do you find yourself not knowing who this Jesus I speak of? Well, let me tell you. The Savior's name is Jesus. And no matter where you find yourself, he can rescue you and restore you. There's hope. And that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. I want to close with this. Years ago, I went to go visit a prison unit for prison ministry training in Houston. And it's called the Clemson Unit. It's the youngest per capita for for adults. I think it's like 27 years old is the average age of the inmates in this prison. And as I went to this training and I walked through this place and I walked through these double doors, I saw these prisoners, over 200 people inside a chapel in a prison with hands lifted up, worshiping and praising God. There were men in that place that were more free in there than out here. Because the gospel cannot be bound. God's forgiveness and mercy transcends the thoughts and understanding of of men. His mercy is great. And those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I could tell you, some of the men I met in that place, their love for Jesus and for people. Though the records on paper, you'd be worried for them to be in your house if you just met them by paper. Murder, rape, the list goes on and on. These men put their trust and faith in Jesus. Their sins were many, but our Savior's blood forgives them, forgives us. We have to be reminded today, family, that we have a Savior, and he loves us. He died for us. And there's no one beyond the rescue of God's plan, God's ability. And even a failed leader like Peter, Our Lord is gentle and lowly in heart. Is your soul weary from your failures and faults? Are you in need of the Savior's love? He never left your side. He came to rescue you, even from your unbelief. He will restore your soul. He will put new songs in your heart. Family, as you walk out your faith this week in Christ, live in that truth, that you're forgiven, that you've been washed, you've been rescued, and God can restore you no matter where you find yourself. Let's pray. Would you stand with me as I pray?
So, Holy Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we get to see how Peter experienced grace and mercy. How you exercise this mercy and love for Peter. That you met him where he was at. That you physically came to him and spoke with them and sat down with them. You care so deeply for your people, Lord. Would our hearts be reminded this day, Lord, that not only did you come for Peter, but you came for us. You came for us. You are our good shepherd who rescued us, who delivered us. Not just then, but today. Your mercy and your grace wasn't just then. Your mercy and your grace are for today. We need you, Lord. Would you restore those who are weighed down by their brokenness and their failures, their guilt, their shame? And Holy Spirit, would you restore their hearts? Would you place a new song in their hearts? Songs of thanksgiving, gratitude, not songs of fear, not songs of doubt, but songs of deliverance. You are the good Savior. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.